This podcast is made possible by Empire Blue Cross Blue Shield, the whole health company. Welcome to Go Bronx Podcast, episode 22. Today, we're recording from the historic Van Cortlandt House Museum. I'm Olga Luce. And I'm Angel. In this episode, we will talk about the Bronx Airport that never was, Curtis Airport. Since the Bronx became a borough of New York City in 1898, it rapidly developed into the mega metropolis we see today. We have a robust transportation system, civic centers, prominent educational institutions, beautiful and spacious recreational facilities, and all the other hallmarks that makes this municipality the great all-American city it has been for many years. Even today, the Bronx continues to build with a new state-of-the-art water filtration plant, gigantic movie studios, and possibly a new ice skating arena, just to name a few. Indeed. Yet, there are some moments in Bronx history where, if things came into fruition, life here would have turned out quite differently. In this episode, we will discuss an interesting tidbit that never occurred in the Bronx, but leaves to the imagination a plethora of possibilities, Curtis Airport. The Bronx holds some of the nation's earliest history in the aviation industry. Take, for example, the creation of the Aeronautic Society of New York and its historic exploits at the old Morris Park racetrack in the Bronx. The society was founded in 1907, and an old bulletin referred to it as, quote, the first organization in the world formed for the practical pursuit of the problem of mechanical flight by man. It was the first aeronautical body in the world to do things, as well as talk things. Unquote. (laughs) So talking the talk and walking it also was a true statement. The society was the very first to produce an airplane that actually flew. Just not that far. At Morris Park, the society leased the grounds of the racetrack and outfitted its structures to become garages or hangars. These structures will see the building of some of the world's boldest designs in aviation, like Wilbur Kimball's 20-propeller helicopter, C.J. Hendrickson's glider, and C.W. Williams' monoplane. By 1908, the Society was offering the country's very first series of air shows at Morris Park, showcasing the new designs that were hatched in its old wooden structures. In June 1909, aviation and motorcycle pioneer Glenn Curtis sold his Curtis No. 1 plane, nicknamed the Golden Flyer, to the Aeronautic Society of New York. This was reported to be the very first airplane sold by a private company in the United States. On that same day, Curtis test flew the aircraft above the old Morris Park racetrack to dazzle the press and other spectators. Curtis went on and made a name for himself in the aviation industry that by the end years of World War I, his company, Curtis Airplane and Motor Company, became one of the largest suppliers of aircraft to the U.S. Army. By the mid-1920s, air travel was beginning to catch on, and with Charles Lindbergh crossing the Atlantic Ocean in 1927, it became so popular that there was a need for more airports across the tri-state area. Herbert Hoover, then U.S. Secretary of Commerce, took the task of surveying where airports should be located, He especially named New York and New Jersey as needy recipients. In 1929, Glenn Curtis, along with the Wright brothers, you know those guys, 
founded the Curtis Wright Corporation, which, by the way, still exists today. Curtis answered the call to build more airports around the country under yet another newly formed entity, Curtis Airports Corporation. With over $35 million, which equals to $525 million today, to purchase large swaths of land throughout the city, Curtis began to set his sights on places like the Bronx. At the time, the borough was still undergoing major development. Main thoroughways, like the Cross Bronx and Deegan Expressways, weren't laid down yet, and sparse real estate was in abundance, especially in the northeast section. Because of this, Curtis purchased close to 250 acres of land just west of Pelham Bay Park, right on the Hutchinson River. Walter Marvin, president of Curtis Airports Corporation, was quoted by the New York Times saying, quote, Plans for equipment included adequate hangars for the planes of all transportation lines reaching New York and for planes for sightseeing and taxi services, unquote. The June 1929 article added that the $3 million airfield would be the New York City terminal of a nationwide chain and will be in operation by the following spring. Yet, as time will tell, that will not be the case. Curtis Airport, as it will be known from here on, was seen as an economic and transportation opportunity for the Bronx, at least for then Borough President Harry Bruckner. He compared the real estate venture to Yankee Stadium, which was a major economic driver in the Bronx, just built earlier in that decade. But local residents, especially those living in nearby Westchester County localities like Pelham and Mount Vernon, thought otherwise. Surrounding residents complained of dust and noise exposure that the nearby airport would bring during its construction and while in operation. Another concern was that these problems will help depreciate the land value as well a detriment in a time of residential expansion in those parts. At a meeting held by the Village of Pelham Board of Trustees in July 1929, one of the village attorneys went even further by threatening to prepare amendments to the village zoning law to prevent such a commercial transportation hub to be established within the limits of the village. Absorbing all the opposition, Curtis was dead set in commencing the airport project and construction began the following year. Yet something else happened in October of the previous year that will prove to be a slow death for the entire venture. The stock market crash of 1929. Right. Well, let us step back and talk about another project that pretty much started in correlation with the Curtis Airport idea and also did not come into fruition, the extension of the concourse line. But before we get into juicier stuff, let's take a commercial break. The world has changed a lot in the last year, and more than ever, you need health insurance you can rely on. Empire Blue Cross Blue Shield is the whole health company, and that means they are dedicated to improving the health and well-being of everyone in the Bronx and throughout the New York service area. They've been supporting the health of Bronxites for 86 years, providing you access to high-quality, affordable care. To learn how you can make a whole health connection, go to empireblue.com. Sigourney Weaver here to tell you about the New York Botanical Garden, 250 acres, 1 million plants, and you. Now open in the Bronx. Plan your visit at nybg.org. 
City Bike is expanding to the Bronx. Membership is only $179 annually. New Yorkers who live in NYCHA or receive SNAP benefits can take advantage of the discounted City Bike membership for only $5 a month. Visit citybikenyc.com pricing to get started. Angel, so what was the concourse line extension? Well, this is the independent subway system line that runs along the Grand Concourse. The line opened in 1933 and terminates at Norwood, East 205th Street. Even before its opening, there were provisions in place to extend the line from Norwood, East 205th Street to run across Bronx Park and continue on Burke Avenue with a terminus at Baychester Avenue. The extension would have led up to the planned Curtis Airport, a fine and timely convenience for air travelers to and fro. Yet the ramifications of the Great Depression would eventually stall the extension of the line, along with the city's willingness to cut corners at all costs. Reeling from its own economic woes, the city found it more feasible to take over the old tracks of the New York, Westchester, and Boston Railroad that went out of business in 1937. By the way, the Boston Railroad never made it to Boston. After some discussion to extend the concourse line to link with the old railroad and thus open passage to the East Bronx, the city once again found new feasibility in just connecting the IRT White Plains Road line at West Farms with the old railroad tracks there. Today, that new line is the number five train to Dyer Avenue. You know, a lot of people don't know that. I didn't know that. <laughs> After some revisiting of conversations to extend the concourse line above Norwood East 205th Street in the 1960s, there were no signs of these same conversations commencing again. Today, there is an unfinished tunnel still sitting under East 205th Street and Webster Avenue. Wow. Angel, you do know that there are plans to extend the Metro North Line to the East Bronx with the proposed Penn Station access project. Yet, there's still no airport there. After the break, we'll find out what actually happened to Curtis Airport. Get it, baby, get it! And now for a little segment we like to call Yo Angel. Yo Olga! Some interesting structures located throughout the Bronx have played major roles in our borough's development. One historic building that continues to awe the ordinary passerby is the Kingsbridge Armory. Tell us about this gargantuan edifice. The Kingsbridge Armory, located on Jerome Avenue and West Kingsbridge Road, is a massive red brick structure that looks like a medieval citadel. Completed in 1917, the style of architecture is Romanesque, with two large towers flanking its entrance, lined with crenulated parapets. It is truly a fortress. The armory takes up a whole block with a 180,000 square foot drill floor inside and multiple sublevels. Construction took five years with the purpose of housing the New York State National Guard's 258th Field Artillery Unit, 8th Regiment, nicknamed the Washington Grays. It is a city landmark and is placed on the National Register of Historic Places. In 1996, the armory was transferred from state to city management due to nationwide military cutbacks. Since then, 
Plans for redevelopment have warranted numerous possibilities. For example, in the 1990s and 2000s, there were plans to convert it into a multiplex cinema, a shopping mall, educational institution, fitness and sports arena, and other ideas fit for such a massive structure. But it was not until 2012 that solid plans to convert the armory into a national ice skating rink came to the forefront. New York Rangers legend Mark Messier and Olympic gold medalist figure skater Sarah Hughes were the major proponents to the project. Yet, after nine years, the Kingsbridge Armory sits undeveloped until further notice. Stay tuned. And now you know. Hot, hot, hip. Hope the heads are up, the chests are out, the horns are swinging and canes count. Sound low. One, two. Sound low. Three, four. Tears count. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Although construction of Curtis Airport in the Bronx was slated to start by 1930, there were no indications that anything happened on the property despite the fact that it still showed on Bronx maps going into the 1940s. In fact, out of all the Curtis airfields that opened throughout the city, the one in the Bronx was the only one that did not come into fruition. On a trip returning to New York City in 1936, Mayor Fiorello LaGuardia threw a fit when his flight was scheduled to land in Newark Liberty International Airport in New Jersey, being that it was the only commercial airport in the metropolitan area. The mayor took his rant to the airwaves and demanded that a new commercial airport be established in New York City especially near Manhattan. After Floyd Bennett Field in Brooklyn proved to be inaccessible because of its long distance from Manhattan, another small airfield in northern Queens was targeted for expansion. From the old Steinway estate, the Curtis Airports Corporation had opened an airfield there in 1929. Later on, it became Long Beach Airport until expansion occurred in the late 1930s, opening as New York Municipal Airport in 1939. In 1947, it was finally named LaGuardia Airport in honor of the prime instigator of the whole affair, and it seems to have been under construction ever since. With a new airport in northern Queens, then another in the south, which eventually became John F. Kennedy Airport, Curtis Airport in the Bronx would have been an issue. First, it would have been too close to today's LaGuardia, which meant air traffic safety concerns and radio cross interference. Plus, Without accessible transportation, like that of the Concourse Line extension, Curtis Airport would have eventually become a nightmare for travelers. As for the land that was supposed to occupy Curtis Airport, well, it was sold for half a million dollars in 1947 to the Baychester Development Corporation. In 1961, Freedom Land, mentioned in episode 20, opened on the site for a short-lived lifespan of four years. Today, Co-op City sits on the site. Say, Angel, do you have any other what-if Bronx tidbits? Sure. Well, one of my favorite what-if tidbits concerns Lewis Morris, the signer of the Declaration of Independence. After the American Revolutionary War, Morris's estate, Morrisania, now the South Bronx area of Mott Haven, was ravished with war. Since the estate sat on a peninsula located on the mainland, protected by surrounding islands, Morris had proposed to the Congress in 1790 to build the new nation's capital there. Although this never became a reality, it is fun to think about having the White House in the South Bronx. Another what-if tidbit concerns his half-brother, Gouverneur Morris, 
a penman of the Constitution, in whom we mentioned in episode two. In an effort to preserve his mansion throughout the turn of the 20th century, there were some attempts to have the land around it converted to parkland. One notable effort was attempted by the Northside Board of Trade, who published a series of booklets explaining how it should be done. Unfortunately, the mansion was torn down in 1905, and the nearby railroad yards were expanded into the area. Just to think, Gouverneur Morris Park would have been the first waterside public park in the South Bronx until the 1930s. Perhaps the park itself would have served as a buffer to prevent more industrial development in Port Morris today. Who will ever know? Hey, did you know that if it weren't for a yellow fever outbreak in Philadelphia, President John Adams would have never made that stop at his daughter's Bronx home on Boston Post Road in 1789? What about... Okay, 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 okay. I think we've had enough of what-ifs for one day. Let's get back to what is, and that means it's time to wrap up this episode. That's our show this week. Thank you all for tuning in to our Go Bronx pod, produced by the Bronx Tourism Council and made possible by Blue Cross Blue Shield, the whole health company. Additional support is provided by NYC and Company. Mucho thanks to the Van Cortlandt House Museum for inviting us to set up shop here. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at GoBXPod. If you like us, tell your friends. If they already like us, make some new friends and then tell them. For information about this episode and more, visit ilovethebronx.com. And while you're there, subscribe to our e-newsletter to get the latest and greatest news from and about the Bronx. As, As always, I'm Olga Luce. And I'm Angel. Bronxfully yours.